0: But I think it's valuable for you to probably see me just so to make you see if I'm uh, smiling or frowning right
1: now. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. We've upset you? It's like, though, that was these, a stupid um, question, Brent. Yeah. Let's drive on. It would
0: never happen. No, there, there, so. no, there, there will be no stupid questions. So uh, all, everything's on the table here. That's awesome. Cool.
2: Okay. Uh, Brent, I think uh, let's do this thing. We are let's hop- man. I feel like we're all hopped up on caffeine. I've had a lot. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Brent, have you had any caffeine? I have. And then, Absolutely. Alex, have you had caffeine?
0: I actually don't drink coffee, Whoa. so if I do fall asleep halfway through the podcast, just nudge me, and
2: I'll I'll wake up. But that just means <laughs> that just means we've done our typical uh, job. So we'll uh, hopefully we don't fall asleep here. Um, so you've you've sort of heard, Alex. Let's get to this thing, right? The the goal of the show is to kind of dive into how companies are really mashing together this virtual world and physical world by taking advantage of uh, emerging technology, um, Internet of Things, augmented reality, and some cool software. Frankly, I'm probably not even doing the business all of the benefit, which is why we bring the experts on. Um, but with an end game of making customer experience and immersive experiences, just you know, leveraging them and making it awesome, that's why we wanted to talk to uh, Alex uh, and Experial. So, welcome to the Hot Isle. I am one of your hosts, Brian Carpenter, and with me, Brent Piatti. Good morning. Good morning, and Brent. We have a fantastic and fun and frankly, uh, not ordinary guest today, so we're going to get a little crazy. We have yeah. with us uh, Alex Hertel from Experial. Did I do that well?
0: You did. Yeah. Thanks for having me on the podcast.
2: Awesome. So Alex, um, we have you as the co-founder and CEO of Experial. It uh, looks like you guys have been around for maybe three, three and a half years. So why yeah. don't you tell, tell us just a little bit about Experial.
0: Sure. Yeah. So we've been around for three years. Uh, just a little bit of background on us. My brother Philip and I are the co-founders. So we uh, we grew up in Canada. So if you, uh, if you hear me mispronounce a few words, uh, you feel free to call me out on that. And uh, so we went to school in Canada. We did our PhDs uh, at the University of Toronto in computer science. Uh, we built a previous startup that was called Walletto, and that was a digital wallet. Uh, and that was acquired by Google, and that became the inspiration for Google Wallet. So uh, we we moved down here to Silicon Valley, and we we spent some time there at Google, and we learned a lot. And then uh, then we, we we left, and we were building Experial, and so that's that's the next startup.
2: That's super cool. And we did we did we do a lot of research on our guests, and you popped up with another uh, kind of unique trinket of knowledge. You and your brother. Have basically the exact same history, almost. So you um, went, you have literally the exact same degrees, it appears, um, and you've uh, both done startups. Now, I didn't get the information that it was the same startup. So, did you both start Walletto together? Yeah.
0: Yeah. On on paper, we're we're basically clones. Yeah. Uh, so we are we are slightly different. Uh, the our, our, I think our PhD committees differed by one person or something like that. But uh, we 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 basically we went through school together. So uh, he's actually a year younger than me, and it's the story of my life. Is I always miss everything by one year, and uh, when I graduated from from high school, they didn't have the IB program, and he got to do that. So he skipped his first uh, year of university, caught up to me. Then we went through undergrad together. We went through grad school together. We built our first company together, and now we're doing a second company together.
2: That's a lot of fun. And so he, I was going to ask, you're clearly not identical by that by the fact that he's a year younger, unless. Something really unique happened in the hospital, um, but uh, so we do want to understand. So, which one of you does your parents love more, based on your current level of success? Do you know? Pro- probably him, I'd say. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I, I mean, you'll 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 get you'll get that impression on this this podcast. I'm definitely not as lovable as he is.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's get to the technology. There's a lot of fun stuff here, right? So um, you. you First of all, why, why don't we rewind a little bit? You've clearly had all this computer science background, a PhD in computer science. I love talking to doctorates. It lets me know exactly how, how inferior I am. Um, what got you into this whole computer science technology thing? Like, where you, What fostered your love and what kind of really drives you underneath? What's underneath the covers for Alex?
0: Yeah, well, we were just always into computers when we were kids. And so, uh, like, our, our dad would buy us uh, computer hardware. We'd play a lot of computer games. And we got into it. This was back in, like, you know, the DOS days when we when you had to, like, configure your auto exec bat and your config sys file to make sure you had enough RAM to play the computer game that you really want to play. So you're really motivated to actually learn something about it. So it kind of started there. And I don't know, when I was in fifth grade or something like that. And uh, then we started taking them apart. And I had to get a mouse. And that back then, you, when you got a mouse, it actually came with a board that you had to plug into your computer. And that was kind of my first taste of hardware. And uh, that was kind of the, the, the route. And then when I had the opportunity to take some computer science classes, uh, both in, in, in high school and in university, uh, I did that. And I, I, I loved it. And, uh, and then my, my brother kind of followed footsteps. And then we, we went through the undergrad uh, program together there at the University of Victoria
1: in Canada. So, favorite game then and now?
0: Oh, uh, favorite game then. There were a few. Um, All time favorite. It might have been. It might have been like Ultima Underworld or or one of those games. You got? How how about you guys? You, You you big gamers?
1: Yeah, actually, I just got uh, done playing. I was on Steam today. I, I did an indie game called uh, Grim Dawn, which is actually pretty damn cool. It's a uh, hack and slash, very similar to Diablo, but a uh, kind of a new yeah. iteration on yeah. it. Yeah, I'm you know,
2: uh, I'm more of a filthy casual gamer. So I, you know, when I was younger, I played all the things based on the Doom engine and Quake because uh, right. ID or ID or whatever is here local in Dallas. Um, but you know, as I've grown up, I basically play whatever the kids are playing. Uh, although I do crush some Pokemon Go, which we'll get into.
0: Yeah, no, Doom was a great game, too. And, yeah, and to answer your question, I think you actually answered it for me. Uh, lately, I mean, I don't have nearly as much time to play games as I used to, but uh, Di- I've been playing a bit of Diablo, too.
2: Nice. Yeah, it's Very fe- cool. I, you know, it's funny. Is I was on a conference call earlier, and uh, Chad Sakich mentioned uh, he was um, playing Overwatch. And I, I see all the videos of Overwatch on Reddit, and I'm like, that must be really cool. And then I realized most of the, com- the, the component of it is all online. Uh, and for my, my 11 year old, I don't really let him play online much. And the, everything I've read about it says the experience not online is not all that fun. It's kind of very limited. So uh, I, I've wanted to play Overwatch, but there are some presents under the tree which I will get to play, which, you know, like call it, what is it, Call of Duty? One of the Call of Duties, I think, just came out. Yeah. You, can, you can tell how much yeah. of a casual I am as far as video games are concerned. Well,
0: that, that's what Christmas is for. I, I remember we always used to play uh, like Railroad Tycoon during Christmas time. I mean, in the olden days, our parents used to have toy train sets, and we play Railroad Tycoon. So uh, fond memories of that.
2: Yeah, awesome. Brent, I know you have other questions. I know we're, we're, we're talking about games, and that's awesome. But uh, let's, let's talk about the games the, the games that are coming for uh, enterprises and businesses and things like that. Absolutely. So experience, Experial. Let's dive into what Experial is.
1: Uh, But first of all, tell us about the name. Where did that come from?
0: Well, the name comes from the fact that it's our first use case, really our our go-to-market, our beachhead vertical is experiential marketing. Uh, And so um, Taking a step back, what we've done is we've built a platform for making it fast and cheap and easy to build what we call real-world web software. So we're building software for, for the real world. We're pushing the internet out into the real world. We're making the real world digitally interactive. And that's what we call the real-world web. And we've built a platform, actually based on our PhD research, some of the core technology there, uh, to make it just radically faster and cheaper to do that. So, I mean, in some sense, everything else I'm going to tell you is a bit of a sideshow. Sort of our our core power is the, that radical compression and cost that we're bringing to software development. And um, I mean, we had a choice of what to do with that power, um, and we rather than kind of wading into a private space. Uh, instead, we decided to look forward uh, a step or two and to apply it to an entirely new area, an emerging area in terms of the Internet of Things and augmented reality to really build a an operating system to make these types of real-world apps. Really, to take your, 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 your mobile device, whatever that mobile device might be, it might be your phone, your watch, your tablet in the future, it might be your augmented reality wearables, um, and to turn that into a mouse cursor for the real world, uh, and the, the the real world web as we envision it will be funded by advertising very much like the, the World Wide Web is, but it'll be a very different type of advertising. It won't be banner ads, it won't be pop-ups. It'll be something much more engaging and experiential, and, and hence the name. Uh, and I think that the Pokemon people, maybe to give you a, give you a good example, um they did something very interesting in this space, right? So they overlaid a game in the real world, uh, and then they used the actual sensors in the phone. In this case, it was the GPS sensor as an input into that game, and they they monetized it in the traditional ma- manner, and they did it very successfully. So, but they, they they basically monetized it using the Zynga model of selling in-game goods, um, but they started to do something what I think is much more interesting than that, where you could put a stop in front of a pizzeria, and then all of a sudden it's driving all this foot traffic to the pizzeria, and then business is booming. Now, to me, that was the most interesting thing that they did, and that's our model. We're making, we've built an engine to make it possible to build an infinite number of these types of games. And then you use these games in order to incentivize valuable behavior. So you don't just put up a billboard and say, hey, come to my store. Instead, you create a game where, as a side effect of playing the game, it, it you just naturally it incentivizes you to go to the store. And then by playing it, you're having fun. You don't even feel like you're being advertised to. And there's a, I mean, you're really getting something back in return for your foot traffic to that store. Uh, so, so that's, at, at the broadest strokes uh, of what we're doing we've built the platform to, to make that possible and then there's about a thousand details we could get into but that's the, that's the twenty thousand foot view
1: yeah no that's cool i can see brian and we're on skype but you're just drooling you're chomping at the bit here brian is a, is a pokemon go fanatic uh it's funny though i just got brian and you'll have to tell me though my sister literally just sent me a text and she said i just caught a super duper rare pokemon and the name is Muck. I don't even know what that means or if that's good, but apparently it's good.
2: Yeah, Muck is the uh, Evolve of Grimer. And Grimer's, a, you know, fairly uh, fairly hard to get. Muck's pretty Muck's a pretty good catch. It took me a while to get to that point. Frankly, <laughs> I didn't even catch Muck. I had to catch a bunch of Grimers and Evolve it. So she's, uh, you know, she's rocking it there in Austin. Awesome. Well, yeah. cool. So Since Pokemon Go
1: is an example, but um, you've also talked about, well, in, 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 uh, reading about your company. Uber is one of those um, examples. Uh, and also Google maps has, has done yeah. very, very well in that space as well. But uh, I think it's, it's cool. Like I played Ingress. I just couldn't bring myself to do Pokemon go, but Ingress, I get it. It's wonderful. Like it's cool. Like looking through the lens of your phone um, and then taking advantage of, you know, the, all the digital marketing and, and things like that, that go along with it. Um, so in, in, in your video on your homepage, um, I, I thought I heard the term an operating system for like kind of this environment. Kind of describe what that means to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, there's, there's a lot more than just games going on out there. And you named a couple of examples. So, I mean, Uber is another really great example of an of a truly mobile app, right? This is an app that lives in the intersection between the real world and the physical world. It's digital, but it's also physical, right? You stand there, you hit the button, and a physical car comes and picks you up. Uh, and and uh, I think Starbucks is another good example, right? The most successful consumer-facing brand app, probably, and they I think they hold more money than some small countries. Uh, and they you it, it's successful in no small part again because there's that physical interaction with a cash register. And I think Google Maps is another great example, right? Where uh, it's given you powers so paper maps are extinct now, and you can't get lost anymore, right? And that's, that's pretty amazing. So it's arguably the most useful app ever made. So I think what, what they all have in common is that they're actually taking advantage of the true physicality of a mobile device. And that, that's, that's abnormal, actually. If you look at most of the the mobile apps out there, even though we call them mobile apps, by and large they're still shackled to the World Wide Web, right? So if you look at let's I know the, 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 I, I don't want to beat up on anyone, but just, you can basically choose anyone. Look, look at the let's, CNN. App, let's
2: beat right? up on your favorite person. Come on, it's okay. Yeah. It's, there's yeah, no feelings at, in podcasting. It's we're fine.
0: Yeah, if you look at the CNN app. Uh, there's really nothing much go- mobile going on there. It's just the CNN webpage, right? Or if you look at mobile advertising in general, like if you're playing Angry Birds and there's a banner ad at the at the top of the screen, well, I mean, banner ad—that's that's a 1998 technology. Um, there's nothing really mobile going on there. They're not taking advantage of the physicality of the phone or the sensors. Uh, whereas Pokemon, when they're driving foot traffic to the pizzeria, they really are. And so we're we want to we want to help people take advantage of those native powers. Um, and so rather than fighting the last war, right? So uh, there's always this tension between hardware and software. Hardware always moves forward, but it takes a while for software to catch up. Uh, and I think these, the, the, ones, the examples I've been giving there, I think are pretty good ones, right? Where, where mobile advertising, for instance, is still stuck in this web paradigm, even though it could be doing more interesting things. So we've built the operating system, the platform uh, to unlock that. And in a sense, I would say that, uh, I don't know if it's right to call it an operating system, or an application layer, or where you want to kind of draw that line. But if you look at the, the World Wide Web, um, it was basically, if you look at the layers of the World wide Web, it was all built on, Uh, Homogeneous hardware, right? It was designed for everyone's desktop computers. And then there was a transport layer on top of that, right? The the IP, all the protocols that could help you communicate. Um, And then on top of that was the actual application layer, in in which, in this case, I would say, is the World Wide Web, right? The World Wide Web is the application layer of the internet, by and large. And then on top of that, you're actually building your quote unquote applications, in this case, web pages. Uh, And so we're doing something similar to that only we're doing it for the Internet of Things. So the Internet of Things is built on a heterogeneous layer of devices, where it's, I mean, it's anything and it's always growing, like your phone, your watch, your tablet, your thermostat, your car, your refrigerator. I mean, pretty soon everything that has electricity running through it is going to be connected to the Internet of Things. So rather than having a homogeneous device layer, we have a heterogeneous device layer. And then on top of that, we've already got the transport layer, right? We've got, uh, we're really just riding the rails of the traditional Internet using the IP protocols and, and all that. Now, what we're doing is that rather than the worldwide web being the application layer. We're building the real world web. And this is the application layer for the Internet of Things. So, we're networking together all of these very uh, different devices, which have traditionally been siloed from each other. And they've all been kind of pointing in different directions. And we're providing the layer on top of that so that the infrastructure uh, is, is done for you. So, right now, if you want to build software for the Internet of Things, you have to do a lot of work. Not only do you have to build program your business logic, but you have to go down there and you've got to program all, all the kind of the, the, the infrastructure logic and the communications and all of that. Uh, well, we do that for you. We provide that layer that does all that 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 kind of busy work and so that you can focus on, on, on the business logic. And then on top of that, that's where you can build your real-world web apps. Um, does that answer your question?
2: It does, yes. Uh, so, you know, we do want to dive into your platform uh, and kind of get some of those examples out there, and I have some curiosities around it. But I want to understand... Um, you know we've talked about some of the theoretical applications. let's let's think about like a practical application here. You had a, an example was which like a stadium on your site, right? Yeah. Um, so you know I, I live really close to Jerry World, which is Jerry Jones's football stadium for his cowboys, a massive place with a, like the world's largest jumbotron or at least that week it was. Um, yeah. When you imagine that scenario and you you imagine me walking into it, what are you thinking is my experiential marketing experience? Like what things are involved like tactically and what am, I, what am I feeling as a consumer where you said it's less obtrusive than just a banner ad on the jumbo?
0: Yeah. So really, we're taking any physical space, whether it's a school or whether it's a mall or a stadium, and we're taking all the resources and the technology in that space, and we're essentially turning it into a digital playground. So stadium's a great example because there's a huge amount of technology in there. right? And you named a few. right? You've got the Jumbotron. You've got the scoreboard. You've got your ticket scan. You've got your concession cash registers. You've got the iBeacons, the Teams. There's, a, there's just a large density of technology in a stadium. Um, And then on top of that, on game day, the stadium fills up with literally tens of thousands of people. And almost every single one of them is bringing a supercomputer with them in the form of a, of a smartphone, uh, and which is chock full of all these sensors, and it's capable of interacting with the re- real world. So what we do is we reach out, and we take all of that technology, and it's, it's already there. I mean, we don't have to do anything on the hardware side. We're not building any new hardware. We're just taking the hardware that's there in the form of the, the sort of the IoT hardware that's already in place, as well as all the mobile devices which have walked into the building, and we unify that into a physical Digital ecosystem, and now you can take those resources, and you can you can get them all pulling in the same direction, and you can focus them, and you can start to now create new cool new games and experiences uh, that haven't been possible before by 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 leveraging this and these these different types of devices and making them work together. So for uh, a good example is uh, is like the Jumbotron, right? So we can now build an app that doesn't just run on your phone. It's an app that. for the the lack of a better term, is basically running on the the stadium is the device that the app is running on. And part of it's in your hand, part of it's on the phone, uh, but part of it's also up on the Jumbotron. So you can now create a sophisticated game where where you're – I'll give you an example. So uh, we just completed a campaign with the New York Jets, uh, and Bud Light was the sponsor there. And so what we did is we created a predictive gaming experience where you could actually in real time play along with the team. So if your team has the ball and you think that they're going to score a touchdown, well, you can predict it. You, you call it. You're calling the touchdown, and that that was the name of the game. It was that the name was I called it. Um, and so and then if you get it right, then and we can write that leaderboard on the jumbotron in real time. Uh, and so and you can play this in the stadium. You can play it at home. But again, we're pulling together these resources that haven't ever worked together before. Uh, and then we did a, a cool thing with Bud Light, where once you run out of touchdown calls, you can go uh, buy a can of Bud Light and and you. See you, you scan that using our vision technology. So again, using the camera of the phone, a sensor in the phone, uh, and then that gives you another a, a touchdown call. So we created a game there that that that, that really worked in the, in the, for, for football and in the stadium and, and the at-home context.
1: So very, very cool. Um, you know, I, I was watching a TED Talks, this was years ago now, and I saw an application, like it was called Erasma or something like that, where you could kind of look through the lens of your camera and have some some experience happened, whether you're looking at the Mona Lisa or maybe you made your own like wedding invitation with this thing. So I've seen kind of the technology to 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 give you that through the lens experience. Um, but it sounds like you're going beyond just that and tying a whole bunch of things together. So what what really drove you and your brother to say, gosh, there's a gap here In the market and and we've got to figure this out because there's kind of sounds like there's pieces and parts of it together iot is not a new thing augmented reality is not a new thing uh this looking through the the lens or the camera of your phone is not necessarily a new thing what what drove you guys to say we've got to do this and 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 frankly you got a bunch of uh, money from pretty cool investors too
0: yeah yeah so they i mean the, the, the impetus behind this was really that there was something lacking in, in the market and it's just so difficult to build a real world app so um if you had to use tr- kind of traditional um, uh, resources and traditional methods to build something—they're just not geared towards this this problem, and uh, it's extremely expensive if you want to build a, a real. Even if you want to do something as simple as like a treasure hunt in a stadium, uh, well, think of all the things you need to build. Right, you need to build a database, you need to build the plumbing, uh, you need to build all these triggers, you need to build like a geo uh, interactions and vision scans and eye beacon interactions, and then you got to build an Android version of the app, and then you got to build the an iOS version. Of the app, so it's incredibly expensive to build these cool types of real-world games. Um, on our platform, you could build something like a treasure hunt in I don't know, fifteen or twenty minutes. Um, the the Jets example that I just showed you, we built that in uh, I don't know, probably about ten days. Uh, normally, it would have taken probably more than six months, and it would have taken a a small army of engineers to pull it off. So that's the real advantage here. Um, And that was the pain point that we were solving for. And that was really the impetus behind everything is that there's a lot of really cool things that are possible. The hardware has made it possible, but they're just not happening for the lack of of a budget. Uh, And so our solution there was to to reduce the costs. So now we can start building a lot more cool things.
2: So, you know, and as you mentioned, experiential, experiential marketing, and I think of other things that you use it for, you know, just in augmented reality and some of the other parts there. Um, I'm familiar with a platform called unity, um, uh, which, you know, sure. 3d rendering and uh, frankly, Poke parts of Pokemon go were written in unity. Um, and so as you mentioned things like that, and there is our platforms like that, what's the problem that unity is not solving for people, right? Uh, or why isn't it just like the de facto standard that you leverage to then spread out further and things like that? Where's the problem lie there? And, and what do you do yeah. additionally?
0: Yeah. So, um, the, the the part that we have that that I've never seen any place else is is the part that came from our phd research so we've invented an entirely new programming language, which is unlike any other programming language the world has ever seen before. It's entirely graphical in nature. You don't type your code, you draw your code. So it's designed for designers, it's designed for marketers. So all the campaigns that we've been running, um, the platform was built by engineers, but all the campaigns themselves were built by our non, by our creative people, our non-engineers, and they were built quickly. Um, and so I think that's an important part Is that we we we've figured out a way to make it fast and cheap and easy for people to learn how to program, even if they're non-technical. It just uses a very different part of the brain, and and it's so easy to learn that I mean even children can. can, This is sort of an appropriate first programming language for children in like first, second, third grade, Um, and it's but nevertheless it's very powerful. So I, I I actually might. I'll let me call a timeout right there, and I'll give a quick crash course in, in pebbling, which was the topic of our uh, of our PhD research.
2: That's actually where so, we were headed with the question. So go ahead. Yeah,
0: yeah. So we, our our PhDs are both in complexity theory and uh, a, a sub area of complexity theory called proof complexity, and so we we both worked on uh, using this tool called pebbling. And pebbling is something you never should have heard of before. There's like 25 egghead academics, including us, who actually cared about this. Uh, but and we were using it very academically. We were using it to, to prove theorems and write papers uh, and attend conferences. Uh, but it was very powerful stuff, and it had just in, in some sense it had just never seen the light of day before. And so we saw there was an opportunity there to, to, to take advantage of it. So we're the first people to really take this pebbling technology and apply it in a way that could be now used in industry. Um, and so Pebbling is—it's actually a board game. You can play it with pencil and paper, and it has two simultaneous properties that usually don't coexist. So, so one property is that it's such an easy game to understand that children can play it. Like anyone can understand this game. Um, but then the other property that it has is that it's extremely powerful. Now, usually those two properties aren't don't exist in the same body, right? So usually when you have something that's extremely powerful. Um, uh, you have to you have to pay for that power in terms of complexity. But here we have something that's extremely powerful but also very simple. So we realized that we could use that to create a a visual programming language that is as powerful as Java, it's as powerful as C. You can it's Turing complete in the in the parlance. So anything you can program in any programming language you can program in this but uh, but then it has the benefit of also being so easy to understand that that a child uh, or someone who's non-technical so in- intelligent and creative but non-technical uh, can understand it uh, and use it so so that's that's kind of the, that, that's our that's our secret sauce so to say that's that's the that, that's our core technology we kind of built our whole company around that and then we have our, we we've used this programming language in order to to build these campaigns for for the jets for example
2: that's pretty cool so um You know, as we talk about pebbling and complexity theory and things like that, um, does that kind of allow us to then hop into you explaining um, rocks? Is that uh, R O X? Is am I saying it right? Yeah. Is, okay.
0: Yeah. So yeah, ro- rocks is the name of our pebbling programming language. So uh, the way it works, uh, th- it would definitely help for me to have some visuals here, but I'll try to describe it. So basically, you draw a diagram, and it doesn't really. It, it looks more like a flow chart. Like the, when you're programming in, in rocks, it feels a lot like you're 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 just drawing a flowchart. Um, and then what happens is that pebbles get put down onto this flowchart and they move around. And as the pebbles move around, that makes things happen, right That changes the state of your program that causes actions to happen. Uh, and it's done you, you almost never even touch the keyboard. It's almost all mouse driven. So people who are familiar with Adobe products will will feel a familiarity here. Uh, and then you get to basically watch it all very visually uh, as as these pebbles move around in in your simulator. Uh, and that's all programmed online. So you log into our website, that's where you you program. Uh, then you hit run, and now you've got a now, you, now you've got a program that's that, that's running that'll that'll work on Android. It'll work on iOS.
1: So cool. I, I want to kind of get real, out of the weeds just a little bit, and then we'll drive back in or dive back in. Uh, who is the customer base? We talked about we talked a lot about sports, for instance, right? Who are you targeting today, and what do you see as as the future?
0: Yeah, well, the, I mean, the real world web is going to touch all verticals in the same way that the World Wide web did. So, I mean, this is, is will be a very general uh, platform. Uh, but we're a small startup with limited resources, so we, we can't just go boil the ocean. And we need to be kind of intelligent and, and thoughtful about the, the verticals that we attack as our beachhead. So that's where we're starting, is with sports, uh, and then f- expand out from there. So, I mean, we're envisioning uh, everyone at some in the future, everyone's going to be a customer. Uh, our early customers, our sports teams, uh, sponsors. Uh, so the next steps, we're going to take our platform, make it self-serve, hand it over to all the teams, hand it over, over to all the creative agencies in the world. Uh, and then further down the road, kind of the, the long tail, I mean, eventually we want everyone using this. We'd love to get this into schools. We'd love to uh, kind of pro- provide tools with uh, like a free tool to all the schools out there that they can use to get computer science education in the classroom as young as first, second, third grade, and then uh, open up the platform basically in, 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 a, in a free way so that every Everyone, just if you're if you're a hacker in the basement and you want to use this, hey, go go for it. And uh, and and I think that's going to be really cool when we start seeing people just getting really creative with it, doing things that we never imagined.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I see this as a a good place for commercial applications. If I think back to I was at Dell World in 2015 and they had a guy with like the Google glasses on or something like that, and he was looking at the back of a a, a rack to replace hard drives or something and. When they looked at it and they saw like a barcode, for instance, it popped up like how to replace the part, or you know maybe you're looking at chemicals, for instance, and as a barcode, and you can have your automatically your MSDS sheet, your you know material safety sheet on there. Yeah. So is that uh, do you do you envision that for your future as well, the commercial application?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and what you described there in, in, in our parlance, we would call a trigger. And so what we do is we, we're we using the sensors in the phone in order to essentially click in the real world. And we do that using triggers. And so you can have a geo-trigger. So the, the, the Pokemon people built their whole game based on geo-triggers. Uh, you can have a smart poster where you go and you tap your phone on the smart poster. So you maybe you're using an NFC trigger, a different sensor in the phone. Or you can do a vision scan like we did with with the Jets and Bud Light. We're using the camera, right, a different sensor. or or. If you think about, like maybe you you use the audio set, like the microphone, just like Shazam does, to listen to an audio trigger on the radio or on television. Um, so, part of the story here is also one of of unification, where we're taking all of these different channels. Uh, and it's, it's not just stadium technology, and it's not just technology in general that we're merging, but it's all—it's communication channels. So if you look at all the advertising channels out there, there's all these uh, ad networks, right? So you got TV ad networks, you got print, you got billboards, you got uh, social media, you got digital ad networks, um, and they're all siloed from each other. So what we can do is we can put triggers onto all of these. So if 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 a, if a brand wants to create an advertising campaign, they can now use all of their resources and now unify them and get them pulling in the same direction. So if you're Pepsi, you can now take triggers and you can put triggers on your, on your TV ad and on your print ad and on your billboard and uh, in the stadium and, and so on. And now the common denominator across all of those becomes the, the mobile device. Uh, and the, 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 the reason why that's significant is that, I mean, five years ago we couldn't have done this. But now we can count on that because almost everyone has a smartphone on them at all times. No one's ever more than six inches away from their phone, basically. And so, that again, it's a unifying technology uh, to really break down those barriers between online and offline so that in the future, people don't talk like that. Then we're talk about online and offline. It'll all be part of the same system.
1: Sure. So with all these triggers, do you need to have a bunch of safe spaces in the stadium?
0: Yeah, so I, that, that we're very sensitive to that. Actually, <laughs> is that you? You need to. You need to be re- really. You need to be worried about walking down the street and being bothered by your phone constantly. Uh, and so uh, we, we've actually designed the platform in a way to make it uh, make it so that it's not spammy, because uh, that that'll be bad for everyone and worst of all for
2: us. That's the that's the first time I've had to take my earphones <laughs> off on that, Brent. So nice. <laughs> Uh, I, you know, and I held back earlier when he was talking about pebbling Because I was like, as we were researching this I thought it was a, a programming language for penguins um, But, uh, you know, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's bad jokes today it's, uh, That was a dad joke for, for me So I do, I do have questions for you as we look at these things Especially as we, I mean, let's just I understand some of the fundamental issues that uh, Consumers of Pokemon Go have complained about, okay? Rural players feel left out um, International players feel left out and then there's governance issues. Those are the biggest three things that I've seen as like challenges as they've tried to kind of create a new gaming theory. Um, you're creating a new, you know, marketing theory in a way. Like you know, it's nothing new, but you're combining it in a way and making it consumable. Uh, do you see challenges from rural areas where there's less triggers or less consumers or things like that? Do you see challenges as you expand beyond um, maybe North America uh, and? You know, and then even, even when I went to Canada, I couldn't mobile order my Starbucks. It hurt my feelings, right? So, like, yeah. um, you know, and then governance things, like what, you know, different privacy laws in different places. And is that up to the local implement, implementer of your platform? Or how are you thinking about these things as challenges to your growth and, frankly, to the whole experience's growth?
0: yeah yeah I mean p- part of the answer to that is that we've designed the platform to be as powerful as possible to so that the people who are implementing these games, they have all the tools and the power at their disposal in order to solve these problems, right? So I think the the worst the worst situation to be in is that a problem comes up and you you can't solve it because of the lack of the power to do so. So we've very consciously designed the the, the whole platform to be as as powerful as possible. So uh, maybe a, a good example of that is um so, so the platform in some sense is an extension of the classic idea of a desktop computer, right? So you remember in the days when we all had desktop computers, you had input devices, you had output devices, and you had your, your, your mouse, your keyboard as input devices, your, your printer, your monitor as output devices. Well, we've taken that idea to the extreme where anything can be an input device, right? Your phone, your watch, your tablet. It can be hardware, software. Facebook can be an input device. Anything can be an output device, right? Your, your car, uh, uh, Twitter, Snapchat, your thermostat, anything can be an output device. Uh, and then we have our, our apps in the middle that have basically provide an infinite level of, of, of computation. So it was a, as, kind of as powerful as we could imagine designing it. So I think part of the answer to your question is that, is that we provide the tools so that the people who make the game, let's say Pokemon, have the power at their disposal uh, to be able to set the policies to to solve those problems. Uh, And so if you're in a rural area and you don't have enough geolocations around you, uh, well, may, maybe we have some tools in there on the, on the geo side to make it just a- automate the production of more geolocations in, 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 in certain areas. Um, or we have different triggers that you can now put on television. So even if you live in a rural area, you're still getting you're, – you're, you're watching TV, right? Uh, and so you have many channels. Maybe you're watching a football game. Maybe Pepsi is a sponsor of that football game. Well, you can now go and you can put triggers onto those those TV ads as well. So the fact that we're no longer just playing with one type of trigger, I think, also helps that problem, right? So maybe if there aren't enough geolocations in 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 the small town that you live in, well, we can start to put more triggers in maybe bus shelters or on television or on the radio or some of these other broadcast mediums so that, that, that the, the folks in those areas aren't left behind.
2: So so now you've told us about all these uh, interesting applications and I'm a, I'm a customer of yours and I've said, I'm in, I want this. Do you, do you get, a lot of times we see application developers today, they're like, uh, you know, I learned this haiku from somebody else. Here's my code, run it for me, I don't care how, right? So they're like, Here's my campaign. Here's my fun application. Run it for me. I don't care how. However, I care a little bit about how you're running it because I'm morbidly curious. Uh, and maybe some customers are like, I can't run this here or I don't want to run it there. So explain your platform and explain how somebody actively you know, runs this campaign. Right? You're still leveraging technology. What does that kind of underlying technology stack look like?
0: Sure. So what what we do is, uh, as I mentioned before, we're, we're programming in the cloud, and then we there is no experial app. So what we do is, at least for now, we're splicing our technology into a Teams app. So, for instance, with the Jets, there we took our technology and we, we put it into inside the Jets and uh, NFL app, and then uh, fans can just play our game in there. So. We, we, our platform is based in the cloud. That's where you go, and you you program all this stuff in our rocks programming language. Uh, and then it's pushed down to, into the SDKs of the uh, that we've put into the Android and the iOS version of the Jets app. Um, and so the closest analogy that I could make here is that it's, a little bit like a web view. It's a little bit like HTML, where you can you build something once in the cloud and then it works everywhere. Uh, only it's, it's it's much more powerful than that. So these this is it's, it's pro- one of the problems with HTML is that it just doesn't give you that native performance. This does. So you have that native performance. You program it once. It works on on Android. It works on iOS right there uh, natively in the Jets app. And then we have all the cool 3D graphics. Uh, and it's it's just as performant as you'd you'd, you'd want it to be.
2: That's pretty cool. So as you as you go to customers and you say, you know, here, this is what you need to do. Um, You know, this is how you want to do it. Where do you see? um, Do you get objections? I mean, to me, this sounds so cool. I'm like, yeah, I'll take three. Uh, I don't have budget, so I don't buy things like this. But, um, you know, how do you get objections? Do you get people who push back? And if so, what does that pushback look like?
0: Yeah, um, well, not every facility is equipped with the technology. So, I mean, some stadiums are totally new and modern and have awesome Wi-Fi and all the connectivity, and others are decades old and they and they haven't been retrofitted. Uh, so, that's that's certainly one obstacle: is that not not every facility is ready for this. Um, but so we've tended to work with the most digitally forward-thinking teams. Uh, so the, the L.A. Dodgers, the Sacramento Kings, with they just built Golden One Center, which a, is a great new arena. Dodger Stadium is decades old, but they, they really invested heavily in upgrading it. Uh, the New York Jets are very forward thinking as an organization. So our early customers tend to be the more forward looking kind of digitally adventuresome teams uh, and brands. And uh, and so they, they've they been great to work with for, for that reason.
1: Yeah, you guys, one of your investors is Major League Baseball, though, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. And the LA Dodgers are a strategic investor, uh, and so we we started with the Dodgers. Actually, we were live in Dodgers Stadium uh, the past season. And, cool. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now we're live with the uh, Sacramento Kings, and we just finished that campaign with uh, with the New York Jets.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to see just how um, MLB in general has has transformed the, the way that they go to market and all their. It's it's really a digital transformation. If you didn't know it, they actually host all of HBO's uh, Go stuff on their platform. That does all of the 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 live games as well. So, pretty neat. It Looks like they're forward thinking, working with you guys as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so the 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 uh, the data, right? So let's talk about um, you know metadata, tracking data, usage data, interaction data. Where does that go and where does that live? Does the customer uh, own that, or do you guys have access so that you can help uh, build the platform uh, and make it more robust? Like, where where does it live who owns it kind of you know talk about that
0: yeah yeah so uh, the, the, the the all the data is available to the customer so part of this is that we're we're we're, te- we're, we're providing information to help them understand their customers better um, so these th- these uh, triggers in the real world, they're essentially clicks, right? When you go and interact with a trigger, it's very much like clicking on a hyperlink, only it's a click in the real world. So these aren't just your browsing or your surfing habits that we're, that we're, that we're learning about here. We're actually learning about your interactions in the real world, right? So if you interact with a, a TV commercial and then you go and you go to a music festival and then you go and you, you buy a, a can of the soda, well... We, we, we captured those clicks, and then we can take that information and we can, we can give that to the, the, the brand or the team to help them learn more about their customers in order to provide them with better services and better experiences uh, in the future. So the, the big data story here, I think, is in the background, but I think it's an important part of the story, is that we are providing information and we're, we're, we're learning about the, the way people are behaving in the real world, and that hasn't been possible before.
1: Okay. And, and is that a, is that a future for you guys to start building? Cause I, I thought I read that there was some sort of uh, analytics component to the platform. Are you going to go deeper and offer, you know, truly a, a big data approach uh, to, to the platform for users?
0: yeah, we're we're building out our our analytics side. and so we have sort of the visualizations, the heat maps, and sort of where you can you can then see how all your triggers are performing in the real world. So if you're an advertiser and you want to, let's say you put a billboard in the north end of the subway station at the exit and one at the south end of the subway station at the exit, well, we can now tell you how many people interact with that the north billboard versus the south billboard. Uh, and so that's that's valuable information if you're if you're spending money on billboards because now you can see how, how it's performing. Uh, and you can if, if one of them's not performing well, you can you can pull your spend there and double down where it is. So that level of, of, of analytics and that level of data, I think, is very valuable to advertisers uh, because right now they don't know how well their ad dollars are, are performing in the real world. So Google kind of solved that problem online for them. Uh, but that problem has never been solved in the real world, and, and and we're doing that.
1: And from a development standpoint, you know being a startup company, um. Did you guys invest in infrastructure to build your own private cloud, or are you using something that's out there in the public?
0: No, we're using Go- pretty much Google Stack. So yeah, we're on Google Compute Engine. There's a lot of Google DNA in the company, mm-hmm. uh, and so we're we're basically using the Google technology stack there. Yeah, we, okay. we just we, whenever we can, we use uh, we use services and we outsource because it's uh, again cost effective. We just don't have the resources to be able to build all that ourselves, at least not yet.
2: Yeah, and it makes a lot and of sense from, that you can uh, phone a friend at Google if you have any problems as well, right? I mean, it doesn't yeah. doesn't hurt.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, we we have a lot of the the team here who worked on stuff like that, and so they're all familiar with it. So we got a lot of sort of Google engineers here as well.
1: Very cool. I know that uh, that Google released uh, Brillo, which I don't know I don't know if it's open source or not, but they talked about it being their IO, IoT operating system and. And also Weave, which these kind of sound a little similar. Is there any of that IP or uh, those those within your, your platform itself?
0: No, we're we're not working with Brillo or or Weave. I, I actually don't even know that much about those. Uh, everything that we're doing there on that side is is, is proprietary. Uh, So it's the stuff that that came from our our PhD research, the pebbling language. Uh, We've built a universal event bus is another one of our inventions, and that's designed to kind of act as the connective tissue or as the glue that takes all of these very heterogeneous technologies and glues them together so they can all communicate with each other and control each other. Um, So most of the, the heavy tech that 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 we're using we we invented in house and then infrastructure like Google Compute Engine we're using or if we need a vision like recognition library uh, we use one of the existing ones but the uh, kind of the core technology is is all our proprietary stuff.
2: That's so that's kind of interesting. You said you have a universal event bus. That sounds a little bit like uh, in a traditional architecture. It sounds a little bit like an enter- enterprise service bus. So did you create that, you know, microservices-wise, or, you know, you've got a bunch of different little things that manage each of the integrations, or, you know, how does that work for you, and, you know, what's, you know, that's kind of a unique problem to have to solve there in your case.
0: Yeah, no, it's actually the opposite. So we recognized how, that, I mean, Experial is a tiny startup, and we have exactly zero ability to go enforce any kinds of standards or protocols onto someone. So if we just told uh, Samsung to use some kind of new protocol, they wouldn't even they wouldn't even notice us, right? So we realized that that wouldn't work. And so what we've done is we're actually not making any new protocols. We are riding the rails of the existing protocols out there. We are using HTTP posts and gets and sort of all, all the, the, the block and tackle kind of Internet protocols. And then we're using a a layer on top of that to coordinate everything. So I'll give you an example, right? So that I mean, the the internet already exists, and uh, and we can leverage that. So for instance, on a jumbotron, we don't need to build any new software to integrate into a jumbotron, because all the modern stadiums out there, they can just take a web page and they can put it up on the jumbotron, and you just need to give them a URL. So what we did is we, we we created a web view where using the Rock's programming language, you could go and program anything in there. So in the Jets case, it was like the leaderboard and so on. And then we just had a web view and a URL, and we gave that to them. And they could just put that up on the Jumbotron. And then in real time, we could write to that URL in in, in using WebGL and 3D graphics and so on. Um, And then you could go and you could change the the, the graphics up there and make that part of the game. And we never had to build any new protocols. We didn't need to build any new hardware. We just kind of rode the rails of everything that already existed. Uh, I'll give you another example. So with, in Dodger Stadium, we're working with a company called Fortress that provides their access control. And, uh, and there, again, we, we didn't ask them to go implement an, uh, an SDK or anything like that into their system. Uh, we just gave them a, a line of code, which was an HTTP post. And so they just post to us uh, and just, again, ride the, the rails of the existing Internet. And then all of a sudden, we're compatible with everything that they're doing. Uh, and so that was our strategy, not to build any new hardware, not to build any new protocols, just ride the rails of what's out there.
2: That's cool. And so, you know, one of the curiosities we had, you mentioned you you were in Dodger Stadium for a year. Um, You're able to turn things around from a customer product perspective in weeks. There's clearly a lot of agility in your thought processes. Did you find any hard-learned lessons or any new problems this year as you're in production? And, you know, how quickly do you turn your platform to be able to address those kind of real-world problems? Or add-on features you know halfway through the year like this isn't working right we've got to flip it on its head get it going this way and get it out what's that experience like within your organization and you know to the customer's endpoint
0: yeah so i mean on on when we're using our platform it's very nimble and agile and we can make changes in real time uh, and so that that's the big advantage of the platform but actually building our platform there we're limited to using traditional means like our, our platforms are all programmed in Java and C++ the different parts of it and so there uh, it's 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 just as slow as, as, as the developments just as slow as everyone else's so again we have to be very careful with our resources and we have to we really have a prioritization of all the features that we're building and uh, and to your point so yeah working working with the teams uh you can uh, you can think you can sit in your armchair and think about this stuff as much as you want but after you get out into the market you're going to learn a lot of lessons Uh, and it's going to tell you which direction you should be taking which which technology you should be emphasizing where you should be investing your resources Uh, and so with with uh with major league baseball a really great example uh was that uh it was it was at their impetus that we developed our web view uh, and then that, the, so, so that we could integrate with the MLB ballpark app. And then um, later on, we used that web view in with the Jets, uh, and we put it up on the jumbotron, and we were able to reuse that. So um, the sort the, of the, the market in some ways teaches you uh, the technology, the the parts that you should be emphasizing
2: and building. So as we as I looked at what you were when we were first kind of introduced to you, and we started to look into having you on the podcast, um, we were starting to think about like what I looked at you as was. Um, hey, I'm a corporation, right? So again, these big, large corporations have, they want to be able to have marketing with their customers. And it's not always about engagement of sales, but rather post-engagement experience of after the sale. Are there things inside of your thought processes or inside of your architecture where somebody can uh, engage with the customer as they are ongoing owner, Uh, whether it be a vehicle or technology or something and or in the case of problematic experiences, troubleshooting, things like that. Is that a part of what you're focused on or is that somebody else's problem in augmented reality to solve?
0: Yeah, well well, certainly the platform can be used to solve that. We're, we're not really focusing on those use cases yet, but uh, I mean, you, you could easily go and put a a trigger on the back of your VCR or washing machine so that if you're having technical difficulties installing it, uh, then all you do is you get your smartphone, you scan the vision trigger, or you tap your phone on the NFC trigger, or whatever type of trigger it is, and then that'll immediately open a video chat with technical ha- technical assistance where they can help you plug in your VCR or, or, or your washing machine or, or whatever it is. So there, there's a lot of use cases like that. Uh, that are that are kind of down the road for us, uh, and, and, and we, we've got a whole list of them. Uh, but again, we we have to, as a startup, just be very careful about focusing our energies uh, so that we don't spread ourselves too thin.
2: And as a as a as somebody a creator, right? You have a lot of creative minds, an entrepreneur, and all these things you've thought about to build your platform, uh, and then you introduce customers, and you know customers are crazy, and they can come up with some awesome things. Have you had customers bring really cool experiences to your product that you never even dreamed of or thought of when you were first initiating what you were doing?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, the LA Dodgers understand their fans far better than we do right? and And same with the New York Jets. And they always will. And so uh, I mean, we we're very happy to take direction and to take input from them. And many times they come up with with great ideas. So in mean, one of the games that we created in Dodger Stadium, Was uh, where where fans could play along with a game that was going on on the jumbotron, right? So you know, every every team has downtime where they have commercial breaks, or the seventh inning stretch, or halftime, or what, depending on the sport, Uh, and they they already have an inventory of activities in the stadium to to entertain their fans. And so a good example of that with with the LA Dodgers is that they they have their their hat shuffle. It's called that they put up on the on the big screen where there's a there's a a bunch of hats and there's a baseball and then the the, the hat goes over the baseball and then the hats like numbered one, two and three. And then the hats move around and then you just got to play along and just watch them. And then at the end of when they finish moving around, see if you got it right. Well, uh, we we took that and we extended it into the digital realm where fans could play along with that right there inside the inside the team's app. Um, and so that's a good example of something that – that was the Dodgers idea. We didn't come up with that. Uh, so they have really cool ideas. And so we're, we're always happy to, 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 to outsource the creativity. Uh, and that's where all of this is going too, right? I mean, our platform will become self-serve. And then we'll, we'll outsource it to the creative agencies out there, right? They're really creative folks who can – and I'm, I'm really looking forward to just seeing the wild stuff that they're going to come up with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's going to be cool to see, especially with, you know, continuing to drive virtual reality. And and, and you guys are setting the table, I think, in, in driving this uh, mashing together of all of these IoT devices. And it's only going to explode if we look at, you know, where that market is going. So it's going to be pretty cool. Um, so you guys have a, a slick uh, programming interface, mostly mouse driven. So uh, not a whole lot of engineering talent necessarily needed for that. So, reducing development time and and, and costs and uh, giving you some more agility. And then again, mashing the real physical world with the virtual world. That's right. What else is out there? Did we miss anything from an Experial platform perspective?
0: Yeah, I mean, part of it, I think, uh, one part which I might have mentioned but maybe didn't emphasize enough is, uh, is agility. And so in software development, I, I mean, I don't need to tell you guys this, but I- innovation is largely a function of the speed of iteration. And so tr- using traditional tools, software iteration is relatively slow and expensive. So we're changing that we're making it possible basically in real time to iterate so if you traditionally if you wanted to run an experiential campaign in a stadium you'd have to hire a small team of engineers it would take you six months it would take you six like six figures probably a hundred thousand dollars to build something interesting well using our platform you can we just radically compress that you can now build something in a matter of days or hours if it's something simple and then you just launch it so you you can just try stuff and you can experiment and so you don't have to put an upfront like huge investment into something and then just hope that it works so what you can do like and if you come up with a creative idea and you want to see if it works just try it, because it's not going to cost you very much. And then uh, a good ideas, they'll keep getting better and better and better, because you'll watch the data coming in after day one, and then you can edit it, and you can relaunch the new version on day two, and then you'll relaunch the, 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 a new version on day three. And so good ideas will keep getting better and better. It's almost like the game itself is learning about the fans. And then bad ideas, they'll fail quickly and they'll fail cheaply. And that's just never been possible with software before. So I think that's one of the main um, value props that we're we're bringing to the to the market.
1: Cool. And then so you, you talked about uh, you know cost and this being cheap. What's the licensing model for something like this? Uh,
0: so there are a few few different ways to do it. So I mean, one is there's a licensing fee. So the the the, the team pays us a licensing fee, and then they they can use our platform in the stadium, or or the a creative agency pays us a licensing fee. Another model is a rev share. Uh, where we are unlocking newfound sponsorship dollars, so we're, we're essentially creating new inventory for the team to sell. So those are all found dollars, and then we do a rev share with the team. So there's a there's a few different ways that that, that work there, kind of depending on on how we engage with the team and, and the brand or the creative agency uh, initially.
1: Okay, cool. Now to go jump back to your previous comment about uh, um, you know driving innovation and being agile. Um, this question may be a, l- a little bit esoteric, but I think our listener base will appreciate it. If, if we talk about your company uh, developing the platform, what tools do you guys use for, you know, for CI/CD pipelines, for uh, A-B testing, all these kind of things? Uh, is it open source? Is it stuff that, you know, Google provides to you? What, what, what's the, the kind of flow of development for you guys?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're you're very quickly going to bump up against the limits of my knowledge uh, the CEO not being in the trenches with my engineering team here. Uh, but it, yeah, it's all open source tools. It's it's mostly the Google stack. We're using GWT on the front end. We're using Google Compute Engine on the back end. Uh, there, they have there's a lot of testing so we're very test driven very again that's kind of our, our google DNA speaking uh the engineering team have, uh, have they've set up all sorts of constant tests and uh they, to, if, if you break the build it's a very bad and, and, and public thing and so that's the uh that, that's sort of the process and, and and those are the general tools but to get into the the, the real the, the the weeds with you uh, there I'd want to refer you to my my cto he can give you a much better answer
1: okay fair enough yeah I'm just curious how how often often you guys are iterating and pushing out updates and that kind of stuff but if that's not your uh your, your wheelhouse not a big deal
0: yeah well the the, the the updates are going out constantly so i mean they're they're landing changes constantly on a daily basis uh, and our, our our platform is constantly growing and becoming more powerful uh and uh and the, the testing makes sure that it's that nothing on the on the on the customer side breaks
2: that's awesome yeah Test test driven development is something that uh, frankly we could probably have a whole another podcast about it's uh it's good stuff uh, yep. So, from the beginning, we talked a little bit about gaming uh, and what we what it's. My personal view of this is we seem to be talking a bit about gamification of marketing, right? Making it a little bit more interactive, more personal, uh, more fun, uh, less you know, like hey, look at that thing that I just drove by. What did it mean? Um, is there value in your opinion, or is there a way with your platform in reverse where you can get a really good game and then marketify that game? Uh, so again, we talk about. You know, actual gaming and you talk about, oh, I get a banner ad at the bottom of my, my game and I find that to be utterly stupid. But could you do something like what Pokemon Go has done for a lot of other games, leveraging your platform and make games a little bit more valuable than just, you know, asking me for yeah. 99 cents for a bunch of tokens or whatever?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, our our event bus is specifically designed to connect all technology, uh, and so a video game is literally just another piece of technology. And so, our against our event bus is designed to be compatible with that. So, if you're a game developer and if you want to tie your video game to to the real world, well, you can now just put an HTTP post in your video game and have it talk to our system. And maybe when you go to 7-Eleven, and you check in, it'll give you a power up in the game, or a special gun, or uh, some some kind of I don't know, faster car. I mean, whatever the game is, uh, and so we can actually tie rewards in a game that you're playing on your console or on your PC. We can tie that to to, to actions in the real world.
1: Very cool. Well, Alex, we've reached the top of our hour, and uh, we want to be mindful of your time. So, uh, the last couple questions I got for you is. Where can we find you or Experial next? Trade shows, speaking engagements, etc.
0: Uh, well, so we, we're we're on Twitter. Uh, we have a website, so www.experial.com. Uh, it's at Experial, X-P-E-R-I-E-L uh, on on Twitter. And uh, I think we have a bunch of conferences coming up in the, in the new year. Uh, I'm not – I don't have any on my calendar right now, but my, my, my PR team definitely has has those lined up for me. So we'll just watch for watch Twitter for, for those coming up.
1: Cool. And then the final thing, and this doesn't necessarily have to be uh, on, on your specific uh, um, area of, of expertise, but are there any books that you're reading that you'd like to recommend to our listeners?
0: Uh well yeah. It, it depends on if your listeners are new parents. So um the I, I have a two year old and so basically am, all I have, the books yeah. I we all think. my all all my, uh, all all my the books I'm reading right now are, are, are parenting, so that's that's a uh, that's another startup that I'm I'm working on, where I, I don't want to introduce bugs, so I'm I'm educating myself on, on using parenting books, but uh, <laughs> n- n- probably nothing too exciting for most of your listeners. I'm uh, I, I basically all my time spent on the, both of those startups.
2: I'm <laughs> awesome. Well, congratulations. I'm a little fascinated by complexity theory. So is there a is there a book or a besides your uh, thesis maybe is there a book that we should go out and look at to kind of further our understanding of complexity theory?
0: Yeah, so uh, complexity theory is really the study of running times the complexity of computer problems. So there are a bunch of problems in computer science, such as the traveling salesman problem or SAT, uh, and these are the so-called NP-complete problems that are very, very difficult for us to solve and that we have no fast algorithms for them. And the best algorithms we know are exponential time algorithms. Um, and so complexity theory is dedicated towards the study of the running time of these problems. And uh, the, the com- complexity, it comes up in all sorts of places like cryptography, right? The complexity is... If you have, uh, if you if you have a a cryptographic function that you want to be very secure, well, you want it to be complex. You don't want people to be able to break it. Uh, And then there's the other area that we studied, which was proof complexity, which wasn't the running time, but the length, the the space that it takes to to create a proof uh, when you're proving a mathematical statement. Uh, But if you look up NP completeness, if you look up the traveling salesman problem, uh, if you look up satisfiability. Uh, just on Wikipedia, you'll get a, a
1: a really nice summary of those. Fine. Well, cool, Alex. Let's shut it down, man. This has been uh, really, really neat to to hear about, and I'm looking forward to following the company and seeing what you guys do, and what, frankly, your customers are going to do with the platform. So, with that, we're going to shut down the hot aisle today. My name is Brent Piatti, and I'm Brian Carpenter, and Alex. Th- thanks for your time today, man. It was awesome. Thank
0: you, guys. It was a pleasure, and uh, and happy holidays.
1: Same to you.